Wow. Thank you so much for listening to this very special preview of our brand new Patreon exclusive show, Resident Evil Book Club. My name is Jeremy Schmidt, and I am one of the two hosts of this show, along with Michael McCaller. We've worked really hard on this show, by which I mean we are reading a book, and honestly, that's a lot for us. If you are a fan of the Resident Evil series, I highly recommend that you check out this episode and consider taking this journey along with us as we tiptoe around the Spencer Mansion, fighting off zombies, and learning about the meaning of friendship. To unlock this show and all of the bonus content we have to offer, please consider going to patreon.com slash supernpcradio and subscribing at the $10 tier. Now please enjoy this spooky, spooky show. So, uh, hey there. My name is Jeremy Schmidt. I am the host of Video Games, a Comedy Show, uh, which you can find anywhere podcasts can be found. But that's not this show. No, I decided uh, me and a, and a very, very close friend, a, a friend of Video Games, a Comedy Show and a co-host of, of the show, Michael McCaller. Say hello. Bonjour. Uh, we are huge Resident Evil heads. <laughs> We're big nuts. We're big it's fans. Too much. Yeah. I mean, you so more than me. Uh, but I, I also, but I'm also like... I get infected by other people's fandom for stuff and it makes me more of a fan of the thing. Mm. And so, you know, we, we do the show video games, a comedy show, which is like a broad uh, spectrum sort of just like uh, video games podcast where we, we talk about loose topics and themes week to week, but then we started doing this more like detailed show video games, a serious show where we talked about like one game in particular, we went through development and release and reception and all that good stuff. And so me and McCaller, of course, do resident evil, <laughs> the original, uh, PlayStation one release because we love it. And that got us thinking, aren't there novels? <laughs> that go along with this series that we're such good fans. We're such like insane fans of, right? Yeah. And there are. There's just like content out there that we hadn't <laughs> consumed. Yeah. So uh, immediately, and I remember this from childhood growing up, like in middle school. I remember I really was trying to convince my English teacher to let me do a book report on Resident Evil, The Umbrella Conspiracy. And uh, she said, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I had to do the biography of Michael Jordan instead. But... Uh, but I, I do want to make a point. Michael Jordan, much bigger villain than Umbrella ever could be. Oh, for sure. It's a bad person. Bad, it's a gambler. Bad person. <laughs> but, tip. but in the late 90s, I mean, there sure. was there was no greater role model than no, Michael Jordan. No, that was the, that was the 90s. Yeah. We were all idolizing <laughs> monsters like Bill Clinton and, <laughs> and Bill Cosby. And Bill Cosby. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that got me thinking, like, I bet these novels... Uh, you know, I didn't dream these. Surely this is a real memory I had. So I do a little Google search. I find out there's fucking seven <laughs> novels. There's seven Resident Evil novels. They follow the games and they there are novels that take place in between when games are happening. There are adventures Claire Redfield has got on that we just missed <laughs> that I have no idea about. Uh, I uh, So immediately I, I texted McCullough. I was like, do you want to do this, this podcast? I, I flirted with the idea of releasing it as like a bonus Patreon exclusive episode, but I think we're going to have to release this as its own thing. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I will say though, this, this podcast for sure has a definite end. 
and it's mm-hmm. when the books are done. <laughs> we will do the books and then that's it. Yeah. We're not doing what we're not going to launch into. Okay, well, let's turn this into a Halo the novels mm-hmm. podcast because I don't care about that. I don't either. Yeah, I don't want to read Destiny novels or I am interested in Star Wars novels. Sure. But not to talk about. And maybe that's a different whole conversation and it's a different I'm interested in that in a different way. Yeah. Than this. This is just pure joy, pure I can't believe it is out there. Uh in in I'm sure, you know, of course there's also like I'm sure a lot of fan fiction about Resident Evil mm-hmm. that's probably not horny, you know, oh, people yeah. just out there doing it. But um but this to me is like vetted. It's like public like it's it was published. Yeah, you know? like Camcom Capcom stamped it. Yes, they stamped it, they put their little this Oh, we'll get into it, but this book was translated into Japanese for Japanese people. Wow. It wasn't... This is an American, a Western novelization of the, the Japanese video game series, Resident Evil. Uh, so, McCuller, before I get into a bunch of like... I feel like this first, first episode is, is... It'd be apropos to talk about like just the ancillary business stuff of the book. Like mm-hmm. it's who published it, who wrote it, all that good stuff. But did you have any thoughts going into this podcast on like, what do you want to accomplish with it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like just reveling like a pig in mud in Resident Evil stuff. Yeah. I love it so much. It's the perfect mixture to me of like silliness and legitimate frighteningness. Yeah. Um, as we like, I, I feel like the good Resident Evils are both scary and sort of stupid. And the idea that somebody sat down <laughs> <laughs> with this story and typed up a book like, yeah. is so funny to me. But also like books have like that, uh, that heft to them. Mm-hmm. They're like the, um, the, the media of the upper class of the intellectual. Yeah. So like for somebody to take resident evil and have to like explore the thoughts of yeah. this fucking meathead, Chris Redfield. It's very funny to me. And I just, I just like being around it. Resident Evil is like a warm blanket to me. Yeah, and 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 same, same here. To me, you know, you've got all of the great. I call them the Christmas time franchises. There's the Lord of the Rings. There's the Harry Potters. Mm. You know, the franchises you bring out around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I thought you were saying like you'd get a gift for for Christmas. People that's know also true. To get you Harry Potter stuff. Most people, I think, I'm gonna. I wish I could pull up statistics immediately after I say this to double check, but I'm gonna guess. Eighty percent of all the people who got the extended cuts of Lord of the Rings got them for Christmas. <laughs> That's a Christmas gift if it ever was. If there ever was one, that is Grandma gave you something for Christmas because she don't know anything. I do remember one time getting the complete hardcover Harry Potter books for my birthday. Oh, great! And being super disappointed because I'd already read them. Yeah, and I just had them like piecemeal, like some were hardcover, some were just like old ripped up paperbacks. Yeah, you had them like an old professor, just yeah. scattered about your bedroom. But I didn't need them again. I yeah. was like, I want something new. Yeah, I want something fresh for my birthday. Yeah, I want uh, the lightning jumper books. What's that uh, guy? Uh, Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson and the lightning jumper. He jumps from lightning bolt to lightning bolt to travel. <laughs> Um, I'm, yeah, so I, uh, same, same, I, I would, I would echo that same thing of like Resident Evil to me is like a Christmas time franchise. It's a franchise that like, you know, I, I get into the lore of it, you know? And so there's no better book series to have in my hands than <laughs> something that gives me just more fucking, wh- who, what is Rebecca Chambers life like? Uh-huh. Like what is, what is Jill like, I mean, I'm so fascinated. We'll get into it more, but like, it, it, there's a point when Jill's just drinking out of a ceramic coffee mug, and that 
I was like, she, she drinks c- coffee. She she prefers that to like a to go co- coffee tin. Did or she have something. to go into her menu and select yes. ceramic coffee yeah. cup? And yeah, use it. she dropped her keys in the coffee, That's- and I was like, oh, she has keys. She drives her own self. Uh, yeah, well, this shouldn't uh, impress anybody else, but it's something that's just for me that I get I get really giddy and excited about. No, there hearing. is something to like. It, it does deepen these characters that we've right. literally known as uh, uh, I've described them before as like mouse pointers. Like they just go up to a shelf and click it and take yeah. the book and take it to where the books go. Right. And solve puzzles. Like well, books all of a go sudden, in book shape holes in the wall. Right. They open doors. They, so. <laughs> I think there is a point where you set a book on a shelf. Right. <laughs> you take it sure. out of a bookshelf. So these novels were written by the uh, fantastic and talented Stephanie uh, Danelle Perry. Uh, and that is D-A-N-E-L-L-E. Not Danielle Perry. Stephanie Danelle Perry. Mm. Uh, credited as S.D. Perry in her works she is an american novelist uh perry perry primarily writes tie-in novels based on works in the fantasy science fiction and horror genres including resident evil star trek aliens and predator uh when not on deadline for contracted work she writes original horror which you know i i do feel like after this book series is over after we do all the resident evils i'm gonna have i'm gonna owe her one for sure probably read one of her original books definitely not probably for podcast because who no one will want that but that's the patreon bonus (laughs) yeah the patreon bonus is we read her actual work uh perry who prefers to be called danelle uh, lives in Portland, Oregon with her family. Her father is television and science fiction author Steve Perry. Uh, I was telling McCaller off mic when I read that it was Steve Perry. I got I got super excited because I thought it, it was Joe Perry and I got those two people confused and really Joe Perry is the guitar player for Aerosmith. How disappointed would Joe Perry be in his daughter if she was yeah. doing contracted tie-in novels? Tie-in novels to uh, Alien versus Predator. Like she has two Aliens versus Predator books. Which I think is great, um, uh, and I and I am a, a big uh, I'm a big fan of her work already. Although having not read a ton of it, <laughs> although I do remember finding this book when I was a kid. I have a lot of memories of this, these books when I was a kid. Do you remember finding one as a kid and reading as much as I could in Target because my parents wouldn't let me have them. Mm. So I read as much as I could in Target, and then like it'd be time to go, and I'd be like, oh, I gotta go. It'd be like instead of me playing Mario sixty four on the like big N sixty four display <laughs> at uh, at a Toys R Us, I was doing that. Um, so a little bit, uh, else about this book, uh, there is not a lot of information. Um, according to copyright logs, the first edition of Umbrella Conspiracy was published on the 23rd of December, 1998, and a a Japanese translation made by Kazami Kenji was published by uh, uh, I love this publication, uh, name, uh, Chuo Koron. In July 2004. Um, so the fir- the American edition of this came out in 1998? Mm-hmm, I think so. Oh, okay. That, no, because the game came out in like 96. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it takes place in 1998. Right, right. Uh, and on Resident Evil novels in general, I feel like maybe we could go through a little bit of that. The earliest Resident Evil novel was uh, by... Was was actually Japanese by, Hiro, by Hiroyuki Ariga... Called uh, Biohazard: colon, The Beginning, and that was published in '97 as a portion of the book uh, "The True Story of Biohazard," mm-hmm. which was given as a pre-order bonus with the Saturn version of the original Biohazard or cool. Resident Evil. So that that is a collector's item, I'm sure. If you still have your copy of that, uh, it would be in Japanese, but 
That is that sounds like something I would love to have. <laughs> but the story serves as a prelude to the events of the original Resident Evil in which Chris investigates the disappearance of his missing friend, Billy Rabbitson. So that was a big question I had going into these first two chapters. Is, is Billy Rabbitson featured in the game? Is mm. that name ever said in Resident I, Evil 1? If it is, I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't remember it at all. I don't remember that name at all. In fact, when I saw the name Billy, of course, I'm thinking it's going to be Billy from Resident mm-hmm. Evil Zero, right? Who's... Uh, I mean, obviously they hadn't written this yet, but like canonically is around. Mm -hmm. He's hanging out at this time. Yeah, he would have been actually primed this time for the Resident Evil novel because it takes place just a little bit before the actual games take place. Uh, So according to the Wikipedia on just Resident Evil novels, uh, S.D. Perry has written novelizations for the first five games, as well as two original novels taking place between games. The novels of uh, the novels often took liberties with the plot of the games by exploring events occurring outside and beyond the games. This often meant that the novels would later be contradiction contradicted by the games and on a few occasions by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> One notable addition from the novels is the original character Trent who often served as a mysterious behind-the-scenes string puller who aided the main characters. I'm looking forward to Trent. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting to know Trent. Uh, Perry's novels were translated and released in Japan with new cover art uh, by Wolfina. I don't know who Wolfina is, but they sound uh, scary. Uh, I think she's a whisper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Perry's novels, particularly The Umbrella Conspiracy, also alluded to events in Biohazard, colon, the beginning, such as the disappearance of Billy Rabbitson Mm. and Brian Irons' bid to run for mayor. A reprinting of Perry's uh, novels with new cover artwork began in 2012 to coincide with the release of Resident Evil Retribution and its respective novelization. And that is kind of an unfortunate thing, I would say, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the, this, the original cover art for these books are fantastic and they kind of ape off of like the original cover art of the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would even almost say there's like this Frank Frazetta sort of like fantasy painterly quality to them. They're like this insane montage of like zombie dogs and monsters like floating in the sky. Oh the yeah. One. Oh yeah. And they're very interesting. And mm-hmm. this is such a, like the copy we have here with these new covers mm-hmm. it's a copy and paste job right and it's a, and they're, they're re- what they are is they're renders from the gamecube remasters of yeah. the game and uh they're done so in like they're they're posed cool but it doesn't i i, I hate seeing game characters on a novel right. like like just a cartoon would be would serve so much better i think just a drawing of them it's like the in the kim possible style in the kim possible style yeah which okay i mean that could possibly be the worst style <laughs> the steven universe style of resident evil drawing um but yeah i mean and and honestly that's kind of all the information that i was able to find in just like a uh, preliminary search of Resident Evil novelization. I mean, I don't know if there are any other articles out there, but if you happen to be listening to this show and uh, you want to uh, you want to reach out and you have more information about these novels, uh, please email us. Um, uh, video games, a comedy show at gmail.com or VGA comedy show at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter at uh, VGA comedy show. Uh, I am also on Twitter at Ocarina of Crime. And uh, Michael McCaller is over here at... Michael McCaller. Michael McCaller. Uh, and so with that, what do you say we uh, dive right in? Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> okay. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know what your approach was to doing, like, to talking about these, these, uh, these 
books, but I just started reading them and just taking notes. Me too. That was sort of how I decided to go mm-hmm. about it. Uh, um, I want to start, we'll obviously start with the prologue. And I think for today's episode, we're going to go through chapters one and two mm-hmm. along with the prologue. Does that sound yep. right? Okay, good. Because I didn't read past chapter two. So I'm <laughs> glad that that's the case. Uh, I was falling asleep by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. so, so. And Not it was, to, to judge the book in any sense. It was very late. I had a right. long day. For sure. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's also a good place to start too, because a uh, little spoiler alert for to the end of chapter two, it's kind of start stops where the action starts Mm -hmm. right so um yeah the prologue is uh sort of um it's a series of newspaper clippings correct it's uh there's no stylization to the text at least as at least in my digital copy of it Mm -hmm. but it, it is it is sort of set up like okay prologue literally two spaces later th- the publication where the fake news story comes from and the date of the news story yeah. and then it's the like the big bold like news story title and then you get like the little clipping of the article yeah yeah and it is i can't tell i mean because obviously it's the beginning of the book but it's not written very journalistically no and and you know what like i i don't even <laughs> I don't really blame uh, S.D. Perry for for this, but I, I would have also appreciated just a little flourish on each one of the the writings of the news clips as if it was coming from two different publications. Mm. Like they just sound like uh, the same person uh-huh. just writing them. Uh, like, for example, if one was like a tabloids journal versus like an actual respected publication. Hark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that but they, but she does go through the trouble of actually naming uh, three different news publications mm. in the area. So that we got the uh, the Latham Weekly, we have Raccoon Times, and we have Cityside. And those, as far as I'm concerned, are three different. Uh, those are three different like news or magazine outlets. Correct. Yeah. Is that is that sort of what we're led think, to believe? Uh, with yeah, that? yeah. Which suggests that Raccoon City, like the exact size of Raccoon City, never quite clicked in my head like and sometimes it's like chicago and sometimes it's maple grove minnesota right yeah and so the idea that they had to have three different publications makes it feel like a bigger city it's like a huge ass city yeah i think in general too the book would have you believe that it's a huge place Mm -hmm. i mean immediately i feel like perry is like blowing out this world to make it feel super sprawling and out there. And we'll get into that a little bit more chapter one, when they lay out sort of the order of command, the chain of command and the police force, yeah. which ends up answering a lot of questions. I kind of actually did have yeah. about the games. So um, I wrote down here as a note, short and sweet. I like this prologue. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not too long winded. It's not too verbose. It kind of gets us right in there. It illustrates a couple of murders that happened and, and, and names a couple characters. I love right away. Yeah. Uh, naming chief irons who yes. is a character who was introduced in resident evil two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this feeling that this world is connected, right. uh, that I think the games are very siloed off. Yeah. You don't see a lot of, uh, references to Wesker beyond, resident evil one until it's a game when he is the antagonist again right uh so like this idea that chief irons is already in play and doing things is very exciting to me. oh it's so cool yeah it, it feels this kind of feels like the resident evil zero that you might have wanted which yeah. was like i mean most most prequels are like what what if the characters were younger you know like <laughs> uh like we want um so we do get Chief Brian Irons and Albert Wesker named in the prologue. Those are mm-hmm. two actual in-game characters. Now, uh, there's terms that get laid out here, which I wanted to go over with you. So the city side, 
uh, July 21st, 1998 uh, mm-hmm. article uh, names stars as the special tactics and rescue service. Did you know that was the, what stars stood for? I thought it stood for squad, but I did know it was special tactics and rescue. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah so that was great. Uh-huh. Immediately. I'm getting <laughs> questions answered for me. It's filling in blanks. I didn't have before. Uh, I also like that. The RPD is the raccoon city police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not the RCPD though. It's the RPD, which is like, <laughs> which is great. Um, well, I mean, their anagrams are delightful. Like yeah. adding, making R like, or the word and, and <laughs> part of it. Yeah, yeah. Just so it's stars. Yeah. They were working backwards. Yeah. Um, also I thought this was really interesting. There's a very, the very last paragraph of the prologue. It, uh, details the, the history of stars and what they are. Yeah. And that to me was the most shocking. Again, it continued to be some of the most shocking information already. hundred percent, which was, I mean, if you, you could go through it, I mean, just kind of explain. Yeah. What there's are. this idea that like, I always assumed stars were just like the top police of the RPD. Right. But they are uh, their own group. They're coming out of the CIA and the FBI, like former agents. And they were originally started to, defeat cult affiliated terrorism yes so that's insane uh this idea that they're like this uh these almost freelancers that like liaison with your standard police departments is like this really interesting kind of cool idea yeah that they uh they are simultaneously separate but like still kind of under control of the police department yeah, and I was trying to think. I was trying to think too. Like, they, like they have their own offices in the Raccoon City Police Department, but they're not controlled by the Raccoon City Police Department. You get this sense that, like, Chief Irons does he like run them too? Because Albert Wesker runs them, right? We're getting this kind of like weird uh, sense that like there's almost like a power play uh-huh. going on. Like Chief Irons has been saying, I'm in control of this mission. And uh-huh. Wesker's just like, sorry, don't know what to do. Uh-huh. But I get the sense that they're kind of hinting at like, but don't let him push you around. I mean, uh-huh. I guess there's this thing where like, I don't know how you would, uh, in the same way, like I think about what's the, the, um, the media company that was just reporting on itself. Deadspin. Oh, was it sure. Deadspin? Yeah. Yeah. Like it almost feels like, the board is Brian Irons and the deadspin reporters are stars and they're yeah. like, they'll push you around if you let them, but remind them that we're independent remind them that, you yeah. know, we presumably have a contract and can stop murderers as much as we want. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I'll read this paragraph here at the end of the prologue, just to sort of like to lay out exactly what stars is. So founded in New York in 1967, which is I, <laughs> New York is a place in this world. Sure. Uh, Cause I imagine raccoon city is like New York, right. but maybe not. Okay. So uh, uh, founded in New York in 1967, the privately funded stars organization was originally created as a measure against cult affiliated terrorism by a group of retired military officials and ex field operatives from both the CIA and FBI. So it's sort of like almost like a militia kind of deal under the guidance of the former NSDA national security and defense agency director, Marco Palmieri, uh, the group quickly expanded its services to include everything from hostage negotiation to code breaking to riot control. Working with local police agencies, each branch office of the STARS is designed to work as a complete unit in itself. The STARS set up its Raccoon City branch through the fundraising efforts of several local businesses in 1972 and is currently led by Captain Albert Wesker, promoted to the position less than six months ago. This is, again, 
could not be more fascinated in this, and especially the timelines. So we're 1998 in the book, but in 1972, they come to Raccoon City. Well, like, did the town get together and say, like, we need a star? Yeah. They, like, they throw a bake sale and yeah. car wash so exactly. they can get fucking Chris Redfield in? Yes, I think that's what happened. <laughs> I think it's literally what happened. I uh, also want to point out that it says uh, the, the final sentence and is currently led by Captain Albert Wesker promotes promoted to the position less than six months ago lipsies yes all three of these articles end in these very mysterious like there were attacks in the raccoon forest in the past several weeks bringing the toll of mysterious deaths up to seven yeah. <laughs> like, <it's> not, <laughs> journalists don't have this flair at the end yeah. of their articles yeah or uh, my favorite ellipses comes after the sentence uh uh mayor harris has scheduled a press conference for this afternoon as and is expected to make an announcement regarding the current crisis calling for a stricter enforcement of the curfew <laughs> It's like, oh, there shouldn't have been an ellipses there. I think what they're they are doing though is alluding to like the, there's more to the there's article. There's more to the article. Yeah, I right. literally, as you started that sentence, I was like, oh, that's probably what they're doing. Yeah, but it is funny to think of it as like read it as a ghoul, you know? Part of the, the, the crypt keeper is yeah. on staff. <laughs> uh so we get into chapter one. And immediately I like where we're at. Uh in Media Res, we're at Jill Valentine's house, which is She's a homeowner. She's a homeowner, which is crazy to me. I pictured her living in an apartment, if not just like, you know, out of a flat with some other of the stars people. I pictured her like bunking at the station. Me too. Yeah. Honestly. It's like your teacher. Like, you know that they have a house, but you just assume they live at school. (laughs) Yeah. Which is why it's always so weird to see them at the grocery store. Right. Yeah. Uh, The very first, the very beginning of this uh, chapter kind of is from Jill's perspective which i do enjoy this that like the book will continue to just shift perspectives mm-hmm. depending on who it wants to follow at any given time it doesn't seem to at least in the first two chapters have any rules as to who it's going to follow because we follow jill we follow chris at some point we follow barry and at some point we even follow wesker which i thought was like a crazy weird turn We're gonna get into his mind i want to that was the most interesting part of that chapter to me was getting into his mind and you see like I mean, God bless you, S.D. Perry. You see, like, the whole, like, demeanor change when it's written from that point of view. Mm. It becomes very calculated and very robotic. Mm. You can tell this guy means a different kind of business than the other two mm-hmm. people. But uh, I like this Jill is sort of getting ready to go to the star's office. Can, She's, can uh, we talk about this very first moment that happens, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. She drops her <laughs> keys into her cup of coffee. The book, so, like, is that a thing that you've done? So she's you in a to, rush. Like, throw them upwards. Right. Like you're not. You're, did she set her coffee on the floor? I don't yeah. understand how you drop your keys into coffee. I'm gonna have to see a diagram of how this happened, Miss Perry. Please send it to us as soon as you can. Just look like at Oliver Stone, JFK. Like, I need a diagram. Yes. I need a back into the left moment with the keys into the coffee. What uh, happened? Jill is 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 running late to get to her meeting. Um, and this is when she, of course, drops her keys into uh, her cup. I also love that it's it, it mentions that paper clips and sticky notes scattered across the tan carpeting. Paper clips, obviously, because she's a master of unlocking. <laughs> uh, Which we find out is like a huge part of her backstory in this. Right. We start getting hints throughout this first chapter that Jill Valentine is this is the daughter rather of dick valentine who's like a world famous thief yes which to me is the ultimate in like taking a famous line from the video game jill is the master of unlocking and like 
spinning so much information mm-hmm. yes. out of that. Oh, big web of information that comes directly just from that. Well, and I will say too that the name Valentine suddenly stops sounding uh it sounds way less video gamey in that in that sort of with that information disclosed starts sounding a little bit more mobstery which actually kind of makes mm-hmm. sense dick valentine that sounds like a mobster's sure. name especially if he's like a fucking thief so um my first note is here uh we are cussing immediately <laughs> which i love that like this is a this is a book for adults who play video games, <laughs> uh, we're saying, ah, shit, right off the it's bat. It's italicized. It's italicized. Pay attention to this word. Yes. She says, uh, she cusses quite a bit in just her mind. She says rat's ass uh, uh, and a couple other uh, swear words, which I, I find to be totally rad. I'm so glad your parents didn't let you read this book. I know. I would have been, I would have been like, mom, what's shit? Mom, what's rat's ass? <laughs> uh Another note I wrote down is uh, she's late for her meeting that's at 1900 sharp, which is 7 p.m. <laughs> and she's drinking coffee. I mean, like when you read 1900 sharp and you don't know military time, you're assuming it's the morning. She's got coffee. In my head, it was 9 a.m. Yeah. No. 1900 I, right. is it's, yeah. it's 7 p.m. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, she's running super late for her night meeting. Why does she need coffee for it? I guess in hindsight, she would need coffee to go on this super crazy nighttime adventure because mm-hmm. they're going to be out there all night. But still, though, it, it was definitely misleading. And why not have the meeting in the morning? I don't know. I also, w- was the plan for them to go out no matter what? I don't think so. Because we'll, I mean, we'll get to that. But I think that's because of an emergency. Okay. <laughs> I think. Uh, so, yeah, I wrote down giving Jill a fun backstory, which I thought was pretty cool what do you think of jill's backstory you're talking about the father the or dick the... valentine stuff ah it's very lame it just it feels very <laughs> tacked on yeah but like i appreciate it for what it is like mm-hmm. i like the idea i guess it's as good as anything mm-hmm. it almost strikes me as like a tv show sort of thing where so many unusual things happen to these people over a course of a season right like, for the need because there's need for episodes but like She's already a crazy tactical like cop. Like mm-hmm. that's an insane thing for her to like. Uh, I was just listening to <laughs> this is maybe a tangent, okay. uh, a podcast about uh, Yoko Ono and the Beatles. Sure. And uh, Yoko Ono's daughter, like she had a daughter who's her ex-husband, like kidnapped the daughter and she didn't see her daughter for like 30 years. Oh, my God. Which is like, that's an insane. The, this is the point that we're making on the podcast. That's yeah. an insane enough thing for a lifetime. Right. Without marrying a beetle and being accused of breaking the, the greatest man of all time. Right. Like, that's too much. Like, right. Having a crazy criminal father is enough. Mm-hmm. Going to a zombie mansion is enough. <laughs> like yeah. Your poor life. Yeah. It's like when you read like the backstory of Jack Nicholson that his like sister raised him as his mom right. or whatever. You're like, oh, I didn't. You were already weird. Yeah. Like, you were already an, a famous actor. Yeah. I get that. That's that is it. To me, it is. Honestly, and and I will say this about like it. We'll get into it a little bit more. I think it comes a little bit more in chapter two. Uh, that this game, that this book is very much like a video game book, and I guess I wasn't expecting that, and I don't know why, because it reads like the things a video game a person who loves the video game would care about get highlighted in this book that like would never really exist in another book. For example, 
detailing out all of the weapons they're going to use and like all the equipment that they have. That is, that is only thing. applicable to me if I'm playing a video game. I don't actually care. Because you're like doing inventory management. Yes. <laughs> you're reading. Yes, and I want to make sure that they have the, like, the bulkiest start the right amount of armor to defend them against their... But then in a book, you're like, well... <laughs> <laughs> I can't that's not as interesting now mm-hmm. um, and even even being the master of unlocking isn't as interesting if you're not playing a video game which I, I again I think is very interesting that some of this stuff details out like a video game novel and that to me is another fascinating aspect of this I've never read a video game novel <laughs> so um, oh yeah so what did you think about uh, the little the little backstory they gave her to about the two little girls I was actually kind of invested in it and thought it was smart i was like oh this is uh that felt like again if you're thinking about raccoon city as a small town that would make sense that she happens to know the little girls who got killed again Mm -hmm. a lot of things happening uh but it does give her like this little personal motivation to be invested in it it's something that we can see her kind of avoiding which um i think resident evil as a series has a big problem with making its heroes like superheroes oh sure um, I was actually just realizing uh, that like my favorite moment of the Resident Evil 2 remake is like Leon running down the hall and just mm-hmm. being like, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can do, it's yeah. like this humanizing moment. And I think that's what this kind of does for Jill. It's like she was like not really feeling Raccoon City, thinking maybe she's ready to get out. And then these cute little girls come over and sing her a song. Yeah. And um, the idea is that there are all these murders going on in Raccoon City and Jill happens to know these like like an eight and twelve year old or something mm-hmm. like these very young girls, and they're victims, mm-hmm. and so she has this like reason to uh, go after it. It's not just another case for her. Yeah, I I like that too. I liked giving her like a a reasonable real world grounding that sort of. Um One sec. Great. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I loved, I love giving her like a grounded real world backstory that actually made me think like, Oh yeah. Like I could see this happening to like this. She's like, early 30s if not late 20s living on her own and these little girls come by and she doesn't know anybody 23 she might be super young yeah that's another that's another part of this where like so you're super young you don't know anyone in the city and then like it's like this these harmless like uh i don't know like little 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 girls come up and they and they start playing in your yard and like that seems to me like uh also kind of uh reminiscent of like that that um Dawn of the Dead remake. Remember that mm. there was like that little girl that would like come over to their house and then like she's a, she's zombie, a zombie first. She bites the husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of like I, I was getting all these sort of uh, all these sort of like uh, uh, sense memory like flashes as I was reading this. Um, and of course they die. Like that's like the big catalyst. So that's why she wants to go uh, hunting, so to mm. speak, for these these killers. We, we actually start getting the sense that like Raccoon City is like under siege from yeah. these murders. Mm-hmm. Like people are being eaten <laughs> like, in the forest, <laughs> and it's one of these things where like we know this is a zombie book, so it's very clearly zombies. But it is very fun to see Jill like doing her best to solve the case. 
Uh, it almost strikes me as like a Batman story where it's like, why would somebody carve a question mark into somebody? And we're and we're back here as the audience going like, oh, it's the Riddler. Like, that's, yeah. we know what's going on because we understand your mythology. But for Jill to be like struggling with like, why are people cutting out the guts of children right yeah it's like oh to eat them and it's yeah and, and I, I like that too because i think if you had a series of murders that were this grisly in your area this would shut the whole place down mm-hmm. even in an area like los angeles it, it really would like you'd be on high alert yeah i mean uh even as crappy as some cities can be even one murder can paralyze a community um so if you were really thinking about this as real as humanly possible which is admittedly hard to do <laughs> uh you could see how um, someone could be affected by this inscrutable sort of uh, chaotic event. So we get our three star dots and we flip over to Yo Chris, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, uh, Mr. Forrest Spire. Man, we get so we get a, a, an incredible amount of stars people in this next section yes. of the chapter. These are all characters that we know from the video game from yeah. like hearing their name shouted once. Yes, or finding their dead body in the mansion yeah. somewhere. So uh, in here we have Forrest, we have um, Marini, we have Wesker, we have Chris, we have... Uh, uh, Barry's popping around. Barry's right? popping around. I believe Brad Vickers is around. Joseph. Uh, yeah, Joseph is around. So we've transitioned to like Chris's perspective. Yeah. And we're at the Raccoon City Police Department. He's interacting with Forrest. This is something that I wrote down. Forrest has a tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is another reason that your parents (laughs) had to keep you from reading this book. Because that tattoo is psycho. (laughs) Forrest has a tattoo of a skull smoking a cigarette. Yes. Yes, he does. Uh, Because he's a badass. He also has um, a, a jacket. Uh, a studded jean jacket, which at first I was picturing um, those like, uh, what's it called when when like little girls put- rhinestones? Rhinestones. That's what I was picturing at first. Rhinestone studded <laughs> jacket. Can I throw out my theory on Forrest's tattoo? Yeah. Okay, he's got a skull tattoo. <laughs> it's just a regular tattoo. This is the kind of tattoo you get when you're like 19 and uh-huh. pushing, you know, uh, testing. I think right. Right. Uh, he goes to his part uh, party at his friend's house passes out drinking and they go nuts they're just like oh they're like they got the sharpie and they're drawing dicks on his face and everything and then one of his buddies draws a cigarette yeah on the on the arm he wakes up his buddy's like what i like is the cigarette and he's like okay sure yeah piano falls through the ceiling crushes the friend as a tribute to the friend he goes to the tattoo guy i love it finish it i love it finish it do as best yeah do your worst and it's just a crudely drawn in markers but like tattooed in markers I it's love like it. a super realistic skull yeah <laughs> and then like a, yeah. a child drawing a child a drawing cigarette. a cigarette um i love that uh, theory i think it holds water um so Forrest also has an Alabama twang accent, which I thought was pretty cool. It gave him a little bit of a character there. Mm-hmm. I uh, I kind of like, too, that, like, Chris, they are not really shying away from how lame my impression of Chris was by playing the games is <laughs> by him um, uh, getting a soda water out of the machine. Oh, boy. Yeah. No flavor for that man. No. Yeah. He gets a soda water and he doesn't even drink it for a long while. <laughs> He says it's too tart. It's too. It's too much. He doesn't say that. But yeah, no. Uh, 
yeah. one, one detail I noted that they they said was that um they kind of go through an, a now officially non-canonical like history of the RPD mm-hmm. and how it got to be such a strange like uh <laughs> <do>, trap <laughs> location. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I can't remember specifically what they said, but one thing they mentioned was that it was constantly under construction. Yeah, so it had been the Raccoon City Hall uh when he it says when he'd been a kid. The building had been the Raccoon City Hall. With the population increase a decade back, which alludes to some massive population increase a decade back, uh, it had been rented. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They all came home. Uh, It had been renovated as a library and four years ago turned into a police station. So we got City Hall, Library, Police Mm -hmm. Station. Now, canonically, it was a museum. Yes. And it was turned into a police, police station. station. That's why you get all those crazy statues mm-hmm. and um, whatnot. And why it's like such a giant building. Yeah. Which I enjoy. But like what I got from this was almost as like, you know how Batman Begins was doing a lot of like justification for the madness that are our... our uh, like what wh- why would a man put on a scarecrow mask and it's like they kind of go through the work of doing like this is kind of the real world justification for why right. you'd be a psychologist and you would be making them afraid whatever mm-hmm. this almost feels like why would there be so many puzzles uh, yeah exactly in yeah. the police station and it's because it's like it's constantly under construction rec- or uh, umbrella rather is slowly like seeping into it and like pulling it into its weird like uh like creating these passages that lead to its secret lab it almost feels to me like the corruption of Raccoon City is em- embodied in this building that went from a pure city hall to now this uh, incredibly corrupt police department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. It's definitely I love giving it some sort of reason and I don't hate this reason. It actually makes more sense than turning a museum into it. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it, it makes a lot more sense. Um but yeah, so we kind of get we kind of get a picture of what it's like to hang out in this area, right? It's just a bunch of it is just a bunch of people hanging out mm-hmm. in like a big cops cops office. You got uh, you got Barry and Joseph. They're over at the rookie desk. Mm-hmm. They're kind of hanging out there for a while. This is kind of capturing that like we're hanging out before a meeting sort of. It's vibe. like the beginning of Aliens. It's yeah. the beginning of uh, you know. It's like all the all the all the soldiers hanging out in the barracks. You know, kind of cutting up and letting loose in the showers mm-hmm. before they go out to to do their uh to do their mission or whatnot um so we also get this like shitty uh oh we get like the billy stuff so apparently chris has this friend named billy who is a chemist or something he works for umbrella in some respect Mm -hmm. and he reached out to chris at some point saying hey i've got i've got all this stuff they're gonna kill me they're gonna kill us all when they find out and meet me at this diner, and then he never like, showed right up. Now. Right He's now. He's like, hey, yeah. I'm going to hang up the phone and go meet you, and died <laughs> within yeah. that chunk he, of he time. He died on the way to the diner. So, well, I mean, he's missing, but Chris, of, of course, is, assumes the worst, and um, he's right to do so, and it has really shooken him up. He's mm-hmm. now, like, very um, uh, wary of what's, what's going on. Um, Which also, like, in the same way that Jill has the little girls motivating him, like, giving Chris a little, like, motivation to hate umbrella Mm -hmm. already i think is very interesting just because the first game like we hear about umbrella like 20 30 percent of the way in right it doesn't really mean anything to us it's like if we found out that like pfizer was evil (laughs) like i have no opinion on pfizer as a company (laughs) right right now right uh but if they do you did find out you'd be like oh 
Okay. Uh, this is weird. This is, yeah, it sucks. I, I guess. should stop them? Yeah. How should I stop them? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I love... Okay. So one of the things that we were even talking about in our episode of Video Games, a serious show was the idea of sending Bravo team and then sending Alpha team and which one was better and what and how did that mm-hmm. make sense? Uh, they kind of answer some of those questions here right off the bat where... Chris doesn't want to send in Bravo team. Yeah. He, he kind of calls into question all of the like qualifications that each one of them has mm-hmm. um, by saying that they're basically all rookies except for Forrest. And Rebecca Chambers is... He, he calls her a genius, a medical genius, <laughs> but she's also a kid. So he's like, I don't think any of these people have enough field work to kind of go in there, um, which was I do, true. I do <laughs> like the idea though, like, the procedure is we send in Bravo team right. to like do recon and kind of give us eyes and ears on the ground and yeah. then we'll come in and shoot everybody. Right. But there was something much more sinister going on there uh, from the beginning and Chris kind of smelled it out. He also at some point in this chapter says uh, that uh, he doesn't like to kick ass, <laughs> which is like what, uh, what irons would love for him to do. Yeah. He says, uh, Oh, kiss ass. Did he say kiss ass? I I read kick. Oh, I I think he might. I want him to say kick. I want him to say kick ass. Hold on, let me let me see if I can find the actual quote here. Sanctimonious prick. Irons. He, he talks about why Irons doesn't like him. It's also written in a way that like it's hard to Yeah, yeah, well, Chris didn't like to kiss ass. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it right there. Damn it. Damn it. Yeah, well, Chris didn't like I I really was hoping it was kick ass. <laughs> That's how I read it. In my mind it's kick ass. <laughs> Uh, as if I like he, to go in and converse. Well, that's why I thought like Irons was kind of doing this thing of like, I only like people who like to kick ass around here. <laughs> He's like, well, I don't like that. Um, so uh, eventually we get to switch uh, POVs uh, to Barry sort of kind of at the end of uh, Chris's little chapter. He kind of like um, mentions the Billy thing, highlights it, mm-hmm. and then we switch to Barry. So Barry is our uh, big bear of a guy. He's a he, he loves two things. Collecting weapons and his family. That's it. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty keep in keeping with the game, sure. I think. Yeah. There are a couple Barry things that really jumped out at me. Okay. Um, the, the scene kind of taking place here is like Chief Irons and Wesker are kind of talking about like, here's what I want to happen. Wesker is like, I think the mission should run this way. And they're having this kind of tense conversation that Wesker is kind of letting him mm-hmm. win. And as soon as Wesker leaves, Barry goes... Uh, do you think the chief er, took a shit today? Yes, yes. I was like, how? Yeah. How could what? Yeah, <laughs> I don't. What is that? What could that possibly mean? Yeah, uh, I think they 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 joke around about taking shits a lot in this, <laughs> and I think what it means is like he's constipated or something, and that's but, like making him angry. But then later, Wesker has a thought of Chief Irons taking a shit down his pants. <laughs> In his pants, and that's making him laugh. So I don't get... They never allude that, like, this is a running gag with them. Do you think them. they think that, like, the most shameful thing you can do is take a shit? I think so. I think it is Stars that, is, like, yeah. mind over matter, and they just, like, keep it in. That's yeah. nutrients. Do you think he took a shit today? Maybe we should give him some laxatives for Christmas. They're, like, making weird jokes about... <laughs> what? Like, what does that mean? It would have been really great if Forrest responded with, like, a... What? <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my God. He's just like freaked out. It's just a strange conversation topic. To, why yeah. Your, why does your brain jump there? No, for absolutely for sure. Right? Yeah. It's <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, in the Barry section too, they also illustrate a lot of the stuff about the mansion, right? They talk about George Trevor and sure. how he's different than Spencer. Mm-hmm. Which this is all in canon, right? Yes. George Trevor builds. He's the architect. He's the architect. Spencer's the money guy. I think Spencer is like the guy who's in charge of Umbrella. Oh, okay. It's definitely the Spencer mansion. He owns right. the mansion at least. But I believe he's like one of the. I mean, because we know that the Ashford family mm-hmm. runs Umbrella. Mm, now I'm hazy about the whole about thing. who Spencer is, right? Yeah, is he? Because I know he has an office, mm-hmm. and it's one of the last rooms you get into in the game, mm-hmm. and it gives you like the final ring to get into the lab or whatever. Right. So there is like this status to Spencer. Mm-hmm. He is like an umbrella. I mean, it's his mansion. It's architect. like it's like he built it, but the architect was George Trevor. Yeah. And in the remake, George Trevor, it's his family that gets right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, but in this though, they kind of paint him out to be as like a little cook who mm-hmm. locked. He like built walls around himself and like lost, got lost in the mansion. I, I will also say this is a tiny detail. It doesn't really matter to the story at all. Mm-hmm. George Trevor also designed a bunch of puzzles for the house in Resident Evil Seven. Oh, okay. One of like four links uh-huh. to the old Resident Evil games in that whole game. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in Resident Evil Seven. I've never played it, but I feel like I would Ooh. love it. And also, it intrigues me for like those reasons yeah. too. In like, how is that a Resident Evil game? I've played the demo, and it makes no sense to me how that's a Resident <laughs> Evil game. Um, so yeah. Uh, blah 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 blah. blah. We there's, get, this, there's this idea that Spencer might have gotten lost in the mansion and starved to death. Trevor, that, right? Uh, I wrote down Spencer. It might be. Oh, maybe it's. I don't remember which one. The idea that either one of those two like got lost in the mansion like made me think that like they just got stuck. It was yeah, it was Trevor because Spencer. Like, uh, yeah, in fact, Trevor's disappearance may have been the reason that Spencer shut the mansion down. Rumor has it that Trevor went crazy during the construction. Mm. And when it was finished, he got lost and wandered the halls until he starved to death. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Love it. Very good. Yeah. That is mm-hmm. just like what happened to me the first time I played Resident Evil 1. Yes. Like you just I, got I, yeah. soft locked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I starved to death. I That Jill save is starved to death. Yes. Yeah. She's dead. Uh, I love that they call Brad Vickers chicken heart Vickers because he's the, the oh, coward. Yeah. And that also sets up the great helicopter mishap buffoonery that will happen mm-hmm. later. Uh, and of course, you know, guys, if you have not played the game Resident Evil, you don't have to, to follow along with this podcast, but we will bring up stuff that happens in the games. Like Brad Vickers is who drops you off in the helicopter <laughs> at the beginning of that game. And then he flies away on you immediately. immediately when the first sign of danger uh, occurs he's he goes gone. home yeah he just <laughs> he, goes straight up it's home. not like he just flies up a little bit like he leaves you yeah 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 funny. he goes to his own house and, and parks that helicopter in his parking garage um great and so anything else from chapter one that we need to mention before we move on to chapter two Mm, I didn't make a line in my notes between chapter one and two. Oh, that doesn't matter then. We'll just skip right along. Keep going. Uh, yeah. So chapter two starts with uh, uh, Jill arriving at the RPD, mm. right? Yes. So she gets there. She's really um, uh, relieved to see that everyone's still around because she thought they all might have like gone without her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or I guess she came and she saw helicopters taking off when she got there. So she thought, oh, fuck, everyone like left. But they hadn't yet. It was they just the Bravo going, They were going to Cold Stone. <laughs> Cold Stone Creamery, yeah. They had to get that hot rock uh, ice cream. Um, yeah, I like how we are. We are immediately when uh, Jill like comes into the police station to sit down in the meeting, that Wesker's already, he's already in the meeting. They're already having it. Uh, Chris shoots her a little smile. Which was a uh, pretty. I immediately I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." It's like, <laughs> uh, now are they canonically like romantic? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't. I never got that sense from the game either. In this, it makes it sound like maybe there might be a little flirtation or romance going on, but it could also go a different way. It it plays very friendship to mm-hmm. me. Okay, I think good. she describes like since she's so new to town, Chris is the only one who's kind of gone out of his way. To Which make of her course, immediately my cynical ass is mm. like, oh, of course he is. Yeah. Of course Chris is. I can't imagine Chris having like that strong a feeling. I don't about think a woman. He, I don't think he has, I think or, or he's anything. probably asexual. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I get that feeling. He's opinionical from watching him play piano. Yeah. He's asexual. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, Wesker is kind of going through the, uh, the, br- the briefing, right. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get, um, the first sort of sign that at least Wesker is tough on Jill, mm. right? Because he like asks her, "Hey, do you have any like theories about what's been going on?" And she says, "It's a cult." She, she, you know, she. I mean, she's dead wrong mm-hmm. in her theory, but uh, her theory is that it's a it's a cult, and they've been attacking these people and this sort of pattern. And and then he asks her, which I really like this, and I wonder if this actually happens in police work type situation he goes disprove it right i i love that moment yeah that's a really good moment like this and this also is pretty good writing yeah in this whole theme in this whole uh this section it too. makes me want to do it when i like write my own story right like just like put it through the filter of like what is the evidence against this mm-hmm. yeah i love that yeah disprove it uh great not bad not bad at all disprove mm-hmm. and then she has to do it herself which basically leads the whole team to be like the dogs. Those are, those are still our way in. Like that's something you can't disprove is the dogs seem like they're being mm-hmm. territorial, uh, to which Wesker agrees. Uh, he writes territorially on the uh, territoriality, <laughs> territoriality on the board, territoriality. That's the word he writes on the board. Wesker, 100% illiterate. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's a, he's a clone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think and yeah. his brain like is, almost developed yeah canonically he's a clone but in this uh we're just gonna assume he's a normal guy okay normal guy for this because um i want the book to tell me he's a clone (laughs) uh anything else uh jill shakes her head um he uh then uh turns his attention to brad vickers who you know starts suggesting that it might be terrorism and all kinds of stuff brad is actually closer i think Mm. right in his theory of it being terrorism isn't that sort of what Umbrella's kind of doing? They're like letting it go. It's like chemical warfare. Is it that Umbrella is trying to let it go or is it that the whole thing is to lead stars in there? Well, that's what I thought too. Part of that was also what would be like terrorism, right? I guess so. Yeah. Like some sort of, it's like intentional. Is Resident Evil, is the incident in Resident Evil a mistake or is it like, or is it like a, the they meant that, to do it. The fact that Wesker is uh, in charge mm-hmm. makes it, it feels to me as though the whole thing was planned to get the stars into the mansion mm-hmm. so they can see how their monsters work. Right. So it does feel like at that point, the murders almost become bait. 
That's what, yeah. So that's, that is what I thought. But then I was also like, what are the timelines here? And we'll get to, cause Wesker has a POV moment here in this chapter. And at that moment, I was kind of like, is Wesker on board yet? Is he mm. part of the umbrella conspiracy yet? Because he kind of acts like he's not. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm led to believe that his first person narrative stuff is truthful, then I'm sort of like, he seems to me like we got to figure out what's going on in that mansion. Like that seems to be like his running train of thought. Yeah. But we'll get there. Maybe I, maybe I, I'm out, I also misread something too. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also the strong chance that like <clears throat> this book is not going to canonically address what the games address later. Right. And th- like there's never been a clear answer as to what Wesker is and what his whole and what his role is with the umbrella. Is. Yeah. Because yeah. he almost seems at times like he's doing one over on them mm-hmm. too. So, uh, 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 kind of, uh, in the middle, in the midst of all of this meeting, um, there is a, some sort of malfunction, something goes wrong and, uh, Brad's like in the corner, like checking in listening. with Bravo team. Yeah. He's listening to their, I'm guessing it's coming from their helicopter, like their coordinates and their position and, uh, their radio. And it's something like the last thing we hear from them is, uh, you copy malfunction. We're going to have to, and then it cuts off. Um, so Wesker immediately gets their position from Brad, whose face is now just pale. Like he's <laughs> freaked out and they, uh, you know, he, he tells them where they are. And then of course it's very, very close to the mansion. That's what Chris, I think realizes that mm. it's the Spencer estate is where the coordinates, the exact coordinates were of where, like where they are. So it's all coming together. <laughs> We're about to get our team together and we got to go out there and help out Bravo team because we don't know where they are. Um, Wesker says, Barry, Chris, you go get the weapons, which is such a video game. <laughs> like the weapons, like, okay. Like they're, they go and they, they open up this door and there's just a ton of different guns in there. And then Jill, you get like the body armor and the backpacks for extra inventory uh-huh. is like what he tells Jill to do. Um, Barry, you get the one-up mushrooms. Yeah, you get all the one-up mushrooms. Yeah, go, 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 go. Uh, the Chris section in this is very short. It's like it's like a brief part of this chapter. But um, we get a little bit more of him sort of being like, yeah, I mean, Billy said this. <laughs> you know, we got to go. That was why it was like when, when we were looking for what Chris, uh, if he said he doesn't like irons because he doesn't kiss ass or kick ass mm-hmm. like they kind of <laughs> they kind of explain the same information in like three or four different ways mm-hmm. there's never just like the moment where chris states like umbrella i think did this to my friend so this is how i feel about it it's like it kind of seeps throughout right which is probably i mean the biggest distinction between video games and a book like mm-hmm. since we're inhabiting these characters minds like there are a couple places where he's like but billy did say this and i'm and i'm kind of reading it thinking like we know this right we don't need to see this again but that's like a screenwriter instinct as opposed to a novelist instinct right yeah 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 um and i like and i mean how do you feel in general about them switching povs from pe- person to person big on that i like it too yeah. yeah it gives it a little bit more like I don't know. We're moving at a different kind of pace. And mm-hmm. if we're just all third person POV God, you know, yeah. view in that's how like the game of Thrones books do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like such a smart way to, um, not let us like, I don't think there, 
again, maybe too big a tangent. Can you think of a single like movie <laughs> where there's just like like a Harry Potter where there's like one protagonist who's like an awesome protagonist? Yeah, no. They're always like by nature of like all the things that they have to do in the story. Yeah, they can't be right. Yeah, this is no. like George R. R. Martin's like, OK, for all the drinking and fucking, we'll do Tyrion stuff for all yeah. the cool conquest stuff. We'll do Daenerys like, yeah, uh, for all of the boring information. We'll do Chris for all yeah, of the dropping exactly. keys into coffee. We'll do Jill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will say just like in the games, too, it's it's still got this problem of like they can't quite figure out Chris yet. Mm -hmm. Like Chris is still just his his character is stoic. Like yep. stoic and and uncurious and, and annoyed, whereas Jill is like young and kind of fresh faced and mm -hmm. like kind of stumbling her way through she's it. She's sort of and, frazzled, like yeah, she's frazzled. very human. Yeah, Chris, I know nothing about. Nah, uh, it's it's a detail that uh, we've come and come past already. But Barry, we find out in his point of view, like recruited Chris. Oh yeah, but specifically. Through a chance encounter at a gun store? Yes. Like, Chris's whole hobby is military stuff. Yeah. It's all just shooting and Making him very hero. suspicious to me. <laughs> that yeah. was actually like, why yeah. are you in a gun store ever? Yeah, why you ever... And, and why would you ever be like, you know what? You need more power <laughs> to this person in the gun store. Um, so then we get... I think this is my favorite by far part of uh, the chapter, which is we get the Wesker point of view. Uh-huh. So Wesker strode down the deserted hall and through the shabbier of the two second floor waiting rooms, nodding briskly at a pair of uniforms that stood talking by the soda machine. You get this sense immediately. He's almost, he's like a RoboCop. He's like a little <laughs> bit of a, uh, he definitely has like that sense of uh, a commanding presence, but he's also very, he's very direct, but he's also very mysterious and continues to beat throughout his entire, his own POV. Right. Yeah. Wesker took a left and started down the winding corridor that led to the helipad, absently running through a mental checklist. Hailing open procedure, weapons, gear, report. Like that's, that's his brain. Immediately, I'm in love with this guy. <laughs> He's my favorite character so far, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and then we get a little bit of uh, uh, control. What was being a competent leader was all about. And then it says, but to close this case, he shut the thought down before it could get any further. He knew what had to be done and there was still plenty of time and he needed to concentrate and now was getting the bravos back safe and sound. So this is kind of like with the canon of the game or just like the basic story of the game. This is kind of, we're going a little bit off script mm -hmm right here and i kind of like it so far yeah it makes it, it gives me this little interesting detail which is like and maybe at some point wesker gets turned mm -hmm. inside the mansion which i mm, i don't know i could buy it yeah although he seems to run away <laughs> in the video game right, right when it's i in. mean he could be abducted at that point and then right yeah 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 I mean, yeah. maybe they pull him aside and show him his clone, who right. is a top umbrella agent. A top umbrella agent. They already had the clone ready. There could be just they like were doing it from five. like random sketches and like binoculars, like <laughs> looking at him. Uh, I love this. He dismissed that train of thought as he walked to the copter, his shadow falling long across the concrete. It didn't matter why not anymore. What mattered was what came next. Expect the unexpected. That was the star's motto, although that basically meant to prepare for anything. Expect nothing. That was Albert Ooh. Wesker's motto. A little less catchy, maybe, but definitely more useful. It virtually guaranteed that nothing would ever surprise him. 
I love that. He's so cool. He's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He's written very cool. And then, but then we get into this uh, Whisker grin suddenly wondering what Brian Irons was doing right now. Shitting his pants, no doubt. Wesker chuckled as he stepped back onto the sun-baked asphalt, getting a sudden clear mental image of irons, his pudgy cheeks red with anger, and crap dribbling down his leg. <laughs> what? Why? Why would that ever be something? I'd sooner like think of my enemies having like a pie shoved in their face than yeah. them just like shitting their pants. That that is such a like Again, a Game of Thrones reference. That's like a Joffrey death. Like, yes, we hated this guy so much, but then this weird, horrible thing happens to him. He gets poisoned at his own wedding, and we're just yeah. like, oh, I actually feel bad for him, and right. these conflicting feelings make me feel so much worse. Right. I don't want to see my enemies shit their pants. Ever. No, I, don't. <laughs> I would feel so bad. It's for a them. good rule of thumb. We should no, you know, if you have enemies, don't make them shit their pants. That's awful. Um, yeah, mm. but I agree. I agree with that. I think that that's like, uh, that's a weird thing to have thought. <laughs> um, so, you know, he has, we basically, this is all what's going on through his mind and stuff as he walks to the helicopter as they're preparing, preparing to leave. Um, uh, and then this is sort of the last thought that, uh, he leaves us with, and we will leave you with dear listener, uh, as, uh, as this chapter comes to a close prodigy or no, she could stand to buy a decent watch. Speaking of Jill, he silently urged Jill to get her ass into gear and motion for Vickers to start the blades turning. It was time to find out how bad things were out there. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good for like a YA goosebumps level writing uh, novel. I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited yeah. to be doing it. And then uh, chapter three, of course, uh, uh, will be for next week, along with I'm, I'm just going to say, what do you think? Chapters three, four and five for next yeah. week? Yeah, because uh, it's not too much to chew on, I think, between episodes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can pretty much knock these out in like an evening. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, I'm going to be honest with you. The first time you said there's a Wesker point of view, I said, was there? Because I was falling asleep when I got oh, to great. that part. Yeah. But then as I was reading, I was like, oh, I took notes about it. Like, yeah. I definitely read it. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. If you had not played the Resident Evil games, mm-hmm. are you able to put yourself in a mindset? Like, do you think you'd be interested in this story at this point? Uh, in as much as I think that the Resident Evil story i mean that's a complicated answer right because like obviously no probably i wouldn't be reading these books at all if i was Mm -hmm. not nostalgic for there's so many sci-fi fantasy books out there that are celebrated for their bookness (laughs) i i would not be choosing to read this however i do think in in so much as that like resident evil takes from a lot of great other sci-fi action horror stuff I am interested in it because it is sort of like the greatest hits of all that. Mm. So to me, you got Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, and you know, like uh, the Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. all sort of rolled into one basic premise. But and then, but then you get these little insights into like cooler other sci-fi premises. Like I would say, the whole Stars and Bravo, Bravo and Alpha teams they remind me of the gang from aliens, Mm -hmm. like the group of soldiers that has to go in. And like, even to the point of like finding their dead bodies and stuff, finding like old, like an alien when they find the abandoned ship and they're like, they're trying to figure out what happened. You know, that's sort of what resident evil kind of is too Mm -hmm. a little bit. So I think, yeah, I would definitely be interested in the story in that it like kind of is doing a bunch of other great stories and mashing them all together. Mm -hmm. What do you think you would? I think, uh, 
that's kind of where I came to was that it's taking a lot of stories and mashing them together. I think if I had no context for Resident Evil and was reading this book, I'd be like, there's a lot happening here. Yeah. I would want it dialed back to like, if there's just, okay, this cop knew some little girls and they got killed and now she's going to go find right. them. Like, got it. Yeah. But then we've also got Chris doing his thing. Barry's yeah. got his situation. And then all of a sudden we're in Wesker's point of view. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to start out with, but like, because I've got like this Resident Evil anchor point, mm-hmm. I'm like I'm so along for the ride. I'm so along for the ride too. I think that part of uh, uh, to that to that note also, I don't know if I would be um, like I think that some of this book is even though it's written by a woman, it's written from such a male sort of macho point of view of like it, the, even the information it's giving us chapter to chapter is only interesting to me because I am curious about these characters and I know some of these characters, but like describing the way that she describes a lot of the characters, I'm actually not getting a lot of information from if I didn't know anything about this, this story, right? right? I'm getting like, oh, he wears like a cool jacket <laughs> or they like guns a lot. Everybody here likes guns a ton. There's not a ton of delineation between the characters. Yeah. Which is right. not an SD Perry thing. That is a, a Resident Evil 1 thing. That is a Resident Evil 1 thing. Yeah, for sure. And just like, and, and being that quick and keen to illustrate I would say parts of a story that do not matter in service of that. They do matter in a video game. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that to me is also a very fun and makes this a very funny read to me. But yeah, no, like I think from a lore point of view, I'm still very excited to, uh, explore more in, in this because like, like, I am as interested in the Bravo team as I remember being interested in Star Wars episode one. Like where did Anakin Mm. come from? Like that kind of thing. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to know more about these people that you only heard whispers of or saw dead bodies of, or like only got like a little bit of them before they were like killed or being eaten currently by a zombie (laughs) or, uh, you know, being yelled, their name being screamed to the top of her lungs. Joseph. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, uh, that's going to do it for our uh, first episode of uh, the Resident Evil Book Club. We might be calling this show a different name. Yeah. I don't know yet. <laughs> it might have a different name than Resident Evil it's, Book Club. It's again, Club. as you said it, I was like, we never thought of a title. No, we never <laughs> thought of a title for this show, but uh, we're very excited to do it. We're very excited to bring you these chapters so you don't have to. But if you do want to read along, I would suggest, you know, you can get this book for $7.99 on Kindle. You also get a physical copy shipped to you for, you know, for free on Amazon Prime <laughs> uh, for about $7.99. Um, Feel free to read along with us if you want or play along with us. Play the video game while we're reading it. Who cares? It's it's all the same thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, on top of that, I would just like to plug our other our, our satellite show, our parent show, video games, a comedy show that is, can be found anywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, McCall, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, uh, just my Twitter right now at Michael McCaller. Great. And uh, we're probably going to stagger the first few episodes uh, and release them then. So, uh, you know, uh, I think this is enough evergreen content to last us, right? It's not going to... There's nothing time sensitive about any of this. These books have been out for over a decade, so... Or over two decades. Ooh. Long time. 20 years old. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm buy this book a drink. Yeah. (laughs) In one year. Uh, All right, everybody. Uh, uh, Have a uh, have a a ghoulish night. Uh, That's a terrible sign off, but I not really ghouls. Yeah. What is uh, what's a good sign off for Um, this? Bye. (laughs) Oh, hazard. (laughs) Oh, that's good.